So as we continue on in this series, uh, we come to what, in my mind, and maybe as you hear this, you might agree, it might be the most uncomfortable of the messages in this generosity series, because we're looking at the obstacles, the things that get in the way of our generosity. And it's uncomfortable, not just because the, su- the, the, the theme, the subject, but because the words that Jesus gives us are maybe some of the most uncomfortable words that kind of make us squirm a little bit inside about money and our view and use of money, but we have to talk about it because the Bible says that you cannot have any sort of significant spiritual growth in your life unless the way you view and your use of money is aligned with the way God wants you to view and use money. So what that means is that this whole series, this whole conversation is not just a compartmentalized thing. It's part of the larger picture of your health. And if this is a problem, it's going to affect your spiritual health. Think about it this way. Think about it in terms of going to see a doctor. Let's just say you've got this problem. It's nagging at you. You can't figure it out. And you say, doctor, can you run a physical on me? I don't know what's going on. I can't sleep. I'm not getting the right amount of sleep. I'm feeling lethargic. I feel like I'm getting sick all the time. I don't know what's wrong with me. Can you, can you give me a physical and analyze what's wrong with me? What do you think the doctor's going to say? Well, doctor's probably going to say, she's probably going to look at you and say, well, I'd be happy to do that. I'd be happy to give you a physical. Absolutely. But I can't just do a physical. I got to ask you even more questions. You got to tell me everything. I got to ask about your work. What's your workload look like? I got to ask what your hours look like. I got to talk to you about your nutrition and your diet and what you're eating, what you're drinking, how much, how often. I got to ask you about relationships and stressors and, and, and try to analyze some of those things. Now, if you were to say back to your doctor, whoa, hey, time out, hold on, doc, wait, that, no, stay in your lane, bro. Like this is not, you're just supposed to do the physical. That's personal, that's private, that's, like, just, just figure out what's wrong with me. What do you, what do you think your doctor's going to say to you? He's going to look and say, I I can do that, but I can't give you an accurate picture of your health without knowing all of these other things. What you have to see is that it's all connected. Maybe, Maybe your work is the cause of everything, not some sort of underlying health condition. Maybe it's that you need therapy. Maybe there's some issue going on. Maybe it's nutrition. I don't know, but I have to ask you all these questions. In the same way, that's how God operates with us. He says, you come to me, and you want me, and you want my love, and you want my healing, and you want my blessing in your life, then I have to be in all of your life, and you have to share everything in your life with me. And if you were to say back to him, whoa, God, this is private, this is personal, this is like, come on, I mean, other areas... He's going to say, just like the doctor, I can't help you. Like the doctor might kick you out and say, okay, uh, I can't give you an accurate bill of health if you won't share with me. Your God is saying, it's all connected. Your entire life, the whole thing is connected. And what that means is as we look at this today, Jesus shows us it's all connected. This is not just a little series that we're doing at the beginning of the year and say, yep, my church talked about generosity. Oh, I really don't need, no, it's all connected. It affects every, it affects your heart. Jesus says that absolutely directly right here. We've said, if you've been with us since the beginning of this series, we've said that generosity is not first and foremost a matter of passages, principles, percentages, amounts. It's all about the heart. And what Jesus says very directly, very clearly today, is that the obstacles 
the excuses, rationales, the reasons, the justifications that we are so quick to give, why we don't give, or why we don't give generously, is because it's all connected to the heart. And it might make you a little uncomfortable, and it might make you squirm a little bit. There's warning after warning after warning in these words, but that's okay. Because the doctor sometimes has to make you uncomfortable. They got to tell you what's there before they can tell you how you get better. That's what Dr. Jesus is going to do, and I pray that I can give you an accurate representation of his words. Here's where we're going to go today. I'll give you our basic outline so you can kind of follow along. Uh, Let's see if I turn this on here. So the lure of wealth is what we're going to talk about first. The blinding control of wealth and then how to break free from wealth's control. Why is wealth so enticing, the lure, how it blinds us and we maybe don't even realize it, and then how do we break free from its control? First, the lure. And we're gonna start actually at the end. Jesus gives this beautiful summative statement of everything that he says in these verses. Here's what he says. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, for those of you who are maybe used to growing up with the King James Version, you don't have to raise your hands, that's okay. Uh, But what was here is God and mammon. You remember that word, maybe you've heard that word, a word that essentially means assets, money, riches, wealth. It's just kind of a summative word for all of that that's gone out of use. Maybe for some of you, you can even remember, wasn't that a capital money in the older translation that we used to have? And the answer is yes, it is. And I wish it was capitalized, it's not a deal breaker. But here's what Jesus is trying to say. What Jesus is trying to say is that he knew if there was one place, one other thing that would vie for people's desire, faith, trust, that they would put their hope in more than God or other than God, it would be the God of money, mammon, wealth. And so Jesus starts off with a warning, and he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin uh, destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Now on the surface, this makes logical sense. We absolutely get this, okay? If, let's just pretend for a moment, scary thought, I'm your financial advisor, okay? And you're going to give me your money, and I'm going to say, all right, you've got two options of which you can invest in. Option A, I'll tell you, it's a little scary because there's no guarantee around it. Um, it might be here today, gone tomorrow. Um, it's subject to just kind of inflation and decay, and it may look good in the moment, and it will be, but then it, it, it might just pass away, lose its value, and there's absolutely no guarantee. But option B, well, well, it's never going to perish, it's never going to spoil, it's never going to fade, it's always going to be there. You'll enjoy it now, and then you'll actually enjoy it even more later on, and even more as you get older, it's going to be great. And not only is there a lifetime guarantee that it will be there and nothing can touch it, there is a other than lifetime guarantee that it will be there after you leave this world, right? Which one would you invest in? Well, gee, Pastor, when you put it like that, option B seems pretty clear, right? Absolutely. We get this. In fact, Even the world understands part of what Jesus is saying, right? 
about storing up for yourself stuff that moth and rust and decay can, can just destroy it, right? The world gets this. Country songs. Your country fans, just imagine with a twang and a guitar, the country singer is singing, you can't take it with you when you go. We hear that, right? We're used to that. Maybe you've heard the phrase, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You don't see that, right? You, it's temporary. It's right here. We know this. So why are we so bad at it? Why do we keep storing up over in option A? Why do we keep doing that if we know it's temporary, if we know it's fleeting, if we know what Jesus says is right? Why does Jesus have to tell us this? Because he knows we keep doing this. Why? And it's because it's not just a logical thing for our minds but it's an emotional lure that pulls our hearts in and money entices us. Think about what wealth promises you. Wealth promises you, it entices you with security. Wealth says, if you have enough of me, I can provide for your long-term future. Where you can retire at 65, 66, or maybe earlier than that, and I can take care of you. You get enough IRAs, enough 401k built up, and you know what? I've got you covered. But not just then. I can take care of you in the short term. Your car breaks down. Your kid breaks his arm. You got a surgery at University of Illinois, Chicago. You, you got something that happens, whatever. Guess what? I can take care of that, too. I can give you a sense of control over your life if you have me. Wealth promises significance. Because who doesn't want their dream house? Who doesn't want just to take a, a step up in their class? Who doesn't want to have the flashy car? Who doesn't want to have the fancy clothes? Who doesn't want a little more social prestige to stick out just a little bit more? Who doesn't want that? And money says your social standing is directly equivalent to how much of me you have. Money entices you by saying, I'll promise you happiness. You've probably heard the phrase before, money can't buy you happiness. Money says, really? Come on. You actually believe that? Sure I can. You want to go on a date? If you got me, there's nothing, uh, no such thing as too fancy, right? You want to go window shopping? Well, guess what? You got enough of me? Go down Michigan Avenue and buy all that you want. Money says, you want those family trips? You want those vacations with all of your family? You want to enjoy Disney World times 100? You want to enjoy whatever it is that you want? Well, guess what? You've got me. You can do that. You want to just enjoy an all-inclusive resort without the kids? Parents perk up? Yeah, well, guess what? With me, you can do that. If you have enough of me, wealth says, I can help you store up all the things that'll make you happy in this world. And now you see how it sucks us in. Now, let me be absolutely crystal clear, because when I talk about this, I always, am, I always say this. You've probably heard me say this. None of those things are bad in and of themselves, period. Nothing. None of it's wrong. Problem comes in when those things become your sense of identity, become your source of significance, happiness, of security, when those things become your priority, or as Jesus says in his own words, when those things become your treasure, now we got problems. Because look what Jesus says. After he says this, he says, for where your treasure is, 
there your hearts will be also. Your heart, your soul, your being will be invested in that, not in heavenly things, not in God. Have you ever thought about that passage? How do you know if your heart is in option A or B? How do you know if your heart is in heavenly things or storing up worldly, earthly treasures? There's a real simple test. Three words. You ready? Follow the money. Follow the money. Money is so interesting because money is a great way to map out your soul and discover what it is that your soul cares about, what your soul prioritizes, what your soul puts its hope and faith and trust in. So how do I follow the money and what is that going to say? Well, in light of the series so far, if you've been with us, you've heard this and you're saying, Pastor, I get what God is saying. I get that God wants me to give more or he wants me to be generous and I want to as well. But you don't understand my situation. I'm maxed out. I am tapped out. I have no margin to give more. It's not that I, can't, I don't want to. It's that I can't. And if, Pastor, let, let's sit down and look at it. Okay, let's do that. And if we sat down and we looked at your income and we looked at your spending and I looked at the house you have, the car, the cars that you have, we looked at the lifestyle that you live. We looked at all the times you go out to eat. We looked at all the golf clubs that you have and all the golfing that you do. We look at all the vacations that you take care of and prioritize. We look at all the things that you do just for yourself or with, your, with the missus or with the hubby. And we look at all of the things and all of the streaming services that you have and all of the times you click Amazon Prime now, buy now, because it's just so easy, isn't it? It's right there. It just comes to you the next day. And we look at all that stuff. Would we see? It's not a margin problem. Problem is, it's a heart problem. That all of these things are coming before God because your heart is not in God, your heart is in these things. And maybe what we might see is the problem is not that you don't have margin. The problem is your heart is invested in these things, a life of luxury, whatever it is, and you don't want to sacrifice it. You don't want to part with it because your heart's there. It's your treasure, and where your treasure is, your heart is there. Follow the money. Ooh. Whoa. And really, what you realize is you're blinded to it. And you've been blinded to it this whole time. Maybe you didn't even know it. And that brings us to part two. The blinding control that wealth has over us. What Jesus says is he goes into this unique analogy next. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great that darkness. Now, a lot of people look at this and say, what in the world does this have to do with money? I'll, I'll tell you. What Jesus is essentially saying here is just an analogy of how your eye helps your body. Your eye, if it works properly, takes in the light, and so you can see, and you can navigate around you so you're not tripping in front of pews, you're not stepping over a bunch of stuff at home, your, your body will be healthy, your body will thank you because of a good eye. But if your eye is messed up, if your eye is darkened, if your vision is blurry, or worse, if it's blind, what's going to happen? Your body is going to suffer. Okay, so what's this have to do with money? What Jesus is saying is 
he has to tell us don't store up treasures and worldly stuff because we do. And what he's saying with this analogy is you might not even realize you're blinded to it. That wealth has already blinded you and your whole body is suffering as a result. Case study. Luke 12. Man runs up to Jesus. Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Now, we don't know anything about the situation. We're not told of all the details and circumstances, but based on his words, it seems that his brother, probably the older brother who is in charge of dividing the inheritance when dad dies, he's probably got to divide it up. There's a way you're supposed to divide it up, and it seems that this guy has a plea. Hey, he's being unfair. This is injustice, and I'm looking for some justice going on here. It seems like a reasonable request until Jesus responds to him, and here's Jesus' response. Watch out. Be aware of all kinds of greed. Which shows you that this man didn't want justice. The motive underneath this guy's request is he's greedy. He just wants the money. He wants the wealth. Now, probe even deeper. Why does Jesus have to say, watch out? Why does he have to tell us to be aware of all kinds of greed? And the answer is because greed is one of those sins that we often don't even realize we're doing it. You notice he never says, watch out that you don't lie. You know you're lying when you're doing it, right? He doesn't say, watch out so you're not fighting with someone else and you're getting into a brawl. You know, you know when you're fighting someone else. You know when, when you're scrapping around on the floor like a bunch of kids who are just getting into a fight. You know when you're hurting someone, right? As another preacher says, Jesus never has to say, watch out that you don't commit adultery because you know, hey, you're not my wife. Hey, you're not my husband. You know in the moment, okay? But with greed, in all my years of ministry, you know what a single person has never come and confessed to me? No one has ever made an appointment to say, Pastor, i got to be open with you. I'm greedy. I am materialistic. Pastor, I, I suffer from this, this problem, this, this mammon issue that I'm, I'm worshiping. Nobody said that. Because it's a sin that nobody thinks they're doing it. It's what I call the, the other people's sins. Do you know what those are? Well, it's someone else. I mean, we... We look at all these other different examples, right? We look at Bernie Madoff, uh, if you know him from, you know, a little over a decade ago, right? And, well, I'm not Bernie Madoff. I'm not ripping people off and living high off the ho- I'm not that. We look at Zacchaeus from a couple weeks ago. Well, he's literally cheating people out. I'm not that. Ebenezer Scrooge, come on, I would have given Bob Cratchit a raise in, within 20 years. I'm not like Ebenezer Scrooge. And we can always point to someone else who's got more money, someone else who's got better house, someone else who's got a better car, someone else who's got different circumstances. It's never us. So why is it that one out of every 10 verses in the four Gospels has to deal with money. Why is it that Jesus talks about money more than lust, more than hatred, more than pride, more than self-righteousness, more than any other topic except maybe the kingdom of God? Why is it that the Bible has some 500 passages around prayer, just under 500 passages around faith, but over 2,000 passages about money? It seems really odd for God to talk about it so much if 
none of us suffer from it. Seems really odd, doesn't it? Unless maybe the truth is we're blind to it and we don't even realize it. Now, how do you test if you're blinded to it? How do you know if it's got a grip on you? How do you, how do you discover that I, if I can't see it? Well, here's a test. How does your heart respond to this? Have you ever asked the question, am I spending too much money on this that it's getting in the way of God's generosity? Actually, better question. Remove yourself from the equation and give an objective third party. Ask a mature Christian, a mature Christian to say, would you take a look at my income? Would you take a look at my spending? And would you tell me, am I spending too much on this or that so that I can maybe give more? Yep, I went there. And if, if your heart says, absolutely not, that is personal, that is private, God knows already, not private, God sees it. Pastor, I would never ask that. I would never want to know. Why not? Because maybe you're afraid. You don't want to ask because money and wealth and mammon makes you not want to look. And you don't want to see that maybe what is staring back at you when you take a look at that is this ugly God that is controlling you, that is owning you, and you've been blinded to it this whole time but the truth is you don't want to part with it because your heart is invested in it. And as we said before, this is not a compartmentalized thing. This is all connected. It's all part of the whole because look at what Jesus says. He says very clearly, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money says, chase after me, run after me, get me, store up me, and I'll bless you. What does God say? It's more blessed to give than to receive. They are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. And I don't have time to go into the other readings. I'm running out of time to look at the language that, that Jesus uses. But suffice it to say... Jesus, God, they don't mince words with this. They use some pretty firm language with this when it comes to this, right? Every runner, marathon runner, sprinter, whatever it is, every runner knows that your body is going to gravitate, go towards the direction that you're focused in. And so if you're running this way, your body's going to go this way, but if you turn that way, your body is naturally going to go that way. And so if you're saying, God, I want you, I need you, you're my goal, you're my desire, absolutely, and then you turn your head towards some other goal, some other worldly treasure, what's going to happen to your whole body? And your whole life might be shipwrecked. You cannot serve both God and money. So which one are you serving? Follow the money. What's it saying? Which one is controlling you? Now, it's warning after warning after warning, but Jesus does not just give us warning. He doesn't leave us without hope. Part three, how do you break free of wealth's control? Here's the good news. He says, instead of storing up earthly stuff that will wear out, here's what he says. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
the stuff that doesn't wear out. How do you do that? You have to be real, you have to be honest, and you have to be 100% straight with God and say, okay, I'm storing up this. And you got to identify what is it that you're going to, but not just what, why? Why are you going there? Is it, is it security? Is it significance? Is it because it's given me happiness? Why is it that that is where your heart is? And then he says, now instead of that, treasure God. Now some people might say, but I already do, don't I? I know Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I know God. Yes, you do up here, but as we've seen this whole time, your heart can be somewhere else. How do you get your head and your heart to align with treasuring God? And the way you do that is by asking the question, why would God be worthy of your heart? Why would he be worthy of the place of your treasure? And to answer that, you gotta ask the question, why did he come for you in the first place? You imagine yourself as Jesus. You've got heaven, you've got splendor, you've got joy, you've got security, significance, happiness with the Father. Why in the world would Jesus give that up? Why in the world would he go to this place, this fallen, broken, cursed world? Why would he come and give all of that up, sacrifice it all, unless there was something that was, he was so focused on, something that was his priority, something that he was so invested in that he said it's worth sacrificing all that stuff? What was it? What was his treasure? You. You are his treasure. And he didn't just sacrifice heaven. He sacrificed his life, his perfection, his righteousness, his relationship with the Father, trading places with you, knowing that you would still continue to misprioritize him and put your treasure in all the wrong areas and your heart follows suit. And he says, I'm going to give myself for them anyway because I want them. And they're my treasure. And he gave up everything to forgive you, to redeem you from that life. And when you get that, when you see God so loved the world that he gave the treasure of heaven because you were his treasure, that's what frees you from wealth's control. And maybe for the first time, the scales are falling from your eyes and you can see and you're no longer blinded and there is light in your eyes and there can be light in your body and light in your life. And you can see that money is just that, money. And it cannot give you what it promises. You see the lures as just what they are, fake lies. You think money gives you security? I haven't been investing for that long, I'll be honest with you, but um, everything that I've been told about the markets right now, how much control do you have over that? <laughs> you have any control over the buying and the selling and the recession and the inflation? And you have no control over that. You think money's going to give you security? Do you have any control over what's going to happen with the weather or what's going to happen to you tomorrow? You don't. You have so little control over your life, but Jesus says, you want security? Well, how about an eternal inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade, never go away, and nothing can touch it, and nothing can take it away from you, and even when you die, it's there. That's security. You want happiness? 
Money says, I can give you happiness. Really? What version of the iPhone are we on? I think it's the 14, maybe the I, I, We're so happy and content, aren't we? You move into your home, and how long until it's, maybe you're discontented? Well, yeah, money buys us happiness. What about when, you're, when your body wears out? Like some of you know this, you're just like, I ain't as good as I once was. I used to be able to do these things. I can't enjoy them like I once did. What are you gonna do with all the stuff that makes you happy? You can't even enjoy it. You want happiness? Jesus says, I'll give you happiness. How about the happiness of knowing that you are forgiven, that you are loved, that you're redeemed, that you have a lifetime of happiness to look forward to? See, money says, I can make the 60, 70, 80, 90 years of your life just spectacular and great. And Jesus looked at that and says, that's all you got? That's a blink of an eye compared to the lifetimes of eternity that I have in store for you. And the promise of the resurrection, you know what that means? It means you will not be there in the new heavens and the new earth saying, I never got to go on that vacation to Mexico. I never got to go travel to Italy. I never got to go. No, you will never be saying that. Because every wrong will be made, right? Everything will be perfect. And you, you don't even know what's in store for you. And when you see that is what Jesus gives you, what is wealth's control over you? It's nothing. And you can be freed from it. Now, I'm going to close with this final thought. Last time we talked, we talked about the tithe. Last time we talked about the tithe, we saw that that was God's standard in the Old Testament for his Old Testament people to give 10% of their income back to God as a thank offering, as a way to say, God, thank you for your generosity to me. That's what God did. And we said how in the New Testament, we don't have a standard, we don't have a mandate, but we do have a different standard. Our standard is the cross, the cross of Christ. And so while he doesn't tell us to give 10% in the New Testament, what we said is, have we received more grace or less grace on this side of the cross? And if we understand we've received so much more grace on this side of the cross, how do you look at the tithe as anything but perhaps a great starting point? Now, if there is a thought in your heart that is pushing back and that is saying, absolutely not, pastor, you've gone mental, you've lost it, your great learning has driven you insane, you're outrageous, you're crazy, I'm not going to do that, I can't do that, and I won't, then let me be maybe as blunt as Jesus is in these words, because I think this lesson deserves it, that might be a sign that your heart is not in the right spot. You are treasuring earthly stuff, and that maybe money and mammon and wealth is mastering you. But let me also say, as Jesus says, it's not too late. Open your eyes. Look at God's word. More than that, look at the cross. See what he has done, how God gave you everything, and he made you, even when you didn't deserve it, the treasure of his heart, his prize, his focus, his priority. And that will loosen wealth's control. You can see wealth for what it is. Fading, dim, a tool that can be used for him and his glory. You can say and believe 
as we've heard all along, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hard words for us to hear, but you tell it to us because you love us. We know that you love us because of how you gave yourself for us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would take that truth and that you would plant it so deep in our hearts that we would put our hearts in you and our treasures would be there, our hearts would be there, and that we would be able to break free from wealth's control for those of us that has it controlling us. Lord, I pray that we see the goodness in following you and submitting to you in all areas of our lives, especially our bank accounts, because it affects so much, Lord. So I pray, I pray for change. I pray for repentance. We pray that you would take this and lead us to view and use our money the way you want us to, to honor you and to bless you and to put our faith and hope and trust not in those things, but in you and you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.